Hello, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast that brings you the stories behind the startups from the folks who are building them. I'm your host, Becca Skutak, and I'm joined, as always, by the fabulous... Dominic Midori Davis. Hey, Dom, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm good. Hanging in there. Can't complain. You know, there's something I've always wanted to ask you. Really? How many piercings do you have? Technically, eight, if I include my nose. I have seven in my ears and then one in my nose. How do you have... For now. How do you fit seven in your ears? I feel like compared to other people, it looks like I have like no piercings because the majority are like in like the traditional spots. I only have like two cartilage piercings. So it's like compared to even some of my friends, I feel like have like double the amount of piercings I have. Oh my goodness. Do they all hurt? I'm like terrified of piercings, needles, stuff like that. Because you only have the first set, right? Like the first ears. (laughs) You said the first set. The first set. Yeah. Yes, when I was a baby, I guess. I don't remember getting these. And then, like, I didn't wear earrings for a long time, and I thought the hole was going to close, and it never did. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm just with this for life. Yeah, no, it does, I feel like it doesn't hurt. Like, it hurts for, like, a second. <laughs> you might be wondering why we're talking about piercings on this podcast, but that is because today we have Lisa Bubbers and Anna Harmon, the co-founders of Ear Piercing Company and Earring Company as well, studs on the show. So it's really fun to talk to a company like this because... It's like brick and mortar first, which in like venture is generally what they avoid. I know. There's so many things about this company where it's like VCs usually do not go for this, but here they are. I mean, very successful. I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah. And let's dive right in. Hey, Anna, how's it going? We've got both co-founders of Studs on today. Thanks so much for having us. We really are excited to be here. Definitely. And you said you mentioned you're both at the Studs HQ today? We are. Where are you guys located? In Soho in New York. Okay. I knew it was in New York, but I was in Charlotte neighborhood. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Maybe if you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Studs and what you guys are up to. Sure. This is Anna. We started the company in 2019, so we're almost four years old now. Studs is a next generation ear piercing and earrings experience. We just opened our 20th store. We actually are opening our 21st tomorrow. And we are really reimagining what it means to get your ear pierced and buy earrings today. And tell me a little bit about why you guys decided to go down this journey back in 2019, especially because thinking of myself, I have quite a few ear piercings that I got in both as a child at Claire's and then as an adult at more of like tattoo piercing studios. So I'm curious kind of what gave you guys the idea to kind of like add another option here. Sure. So I went to get another piercing like you as an adult, probably five years ago now. And I went first to a very high-end piercing place. They told me I was going to have to wait two hours and it probably would have cost something like five or $700. Oh my God. I know it was so expensive. And I was sort of like, you're not making me wait two hours to spend that much money. So I left and I went to a tattoo parlor and I got pierced there. And Lisa actually came with me. And The experience of the piercing was great. It was really, I loved my piercer. It was done really well with a needle and I felt very healthy and safe. However, I didn't love the jewelry and I also felt very personally out of place at the tattoo parlor. And so I started to wonder if you were me and you had graduated from getting your piercings at Claire's, where would you go? And the answer before studs was there wasn't really a place to go other than the tattoo parlor. And the reality is the tattoo parlor is not for everyone. You know, not only did we find better ear piercing experience for, let's say, a Gen Z and millennial audience, 
and a better retail environment. But we also found that our customer was going to, let's say, a tattoo shop to get their ear piercing and then having no off in terms of how they were healing. They usually didn't like the jewelry that was in their ear. They were just waiting for it to heal so they could change it earrings at a completely different place. And so we really thought there was an opportunity not just to create a better ear piercing experience, but to connect ear piercing and earring shopping together. Because why you're getting these holes in your ears is because you want to wear earrings. You know, it's a canvas, you're getting holes and you want to keep changing out those earrings. And there was really no logical reason why ear piercing and earring shopping wasn't connected. And so I invented the term earscaping to really conceive of that experience of and safe with needles that work with your ear anatomy with jewelry you really like and connecting earring shopping and ear piercing healing all together into one experience. And just taking a step back a little bit, because I know nothing about the piercing industry. I think I got my ears pierced when I was like born or something and then haven't been back there since. So like, what is usually the piercing industry? Is there usually like a lot of innovation in the space? Like what happens in this market? It's interesting that you ask. I would say there hasn't been a lot of innovation, frankly, in the space in quite some time. And part of the reason we were attracted to it was that we felt like it was due for an update. And we also really were focused on this idea of piercing with needles at scale. And so most of the traditional players are really only piercing with guns. And we were really focused on the customer wants needle piercings. Needle piercings are really only offered traditionally by tattoo parlors. And we wanted to create a brand around this idea of needle piercings for the ear only and selling earrings. And what was it like going from, so you had this experience, you started to formulate the idea. Was that sort of your first thought to be, oh, we're going to create a place where you can both do a studio, actually get pierced there, buy earrings? How did you formulate what became studs today from that initial experience and sort of figuring out what that was going to look like? We've both been in startups for a long time. We both had been startup executives. We had a little office space and we brought in our friends of friends and people we met on the street and we found what we thought was the target audience and really talked to them about what their experience had been with ear piercings, how many ear piercings they had, how they had gotten them, where they were shopping for earrings, what they would want from the ideal experience. And we kind of set up these beta operations to really gather all those insights and created our hypothesis and launched our first store in Nolita on Prince and Elizabeth. This is our idea of what the concept should be. It should be this tail experience and we're going to sell earrings online. We're going to create earscaping really, really loved it. Our hypothesis was right. And while we've definitely refined and tweaked the concept and the merchandising strategy since then, that original Studs concept is what Studs is today with our now 21 studios. Mm -hmm. How did you initially get funding for the business? Because I imagine like it's brick and mortar, which is expensive, but then also this type of business. Like how did you initially, did you bootstrap or? No, we raised capital from venture six months before we launched the business. And we were lucky because I think the idea was really tangible and easy for people to understand. And I also think we were lucky in the sense that it was clear to people that it would be capital intensive and that we needed to raise money in order to create a big brand and a big splash. So we raised money in 2019, the early part of that year, and then we launched the company in late 2019. It's so interesting. I mean, like, what was the pitch to investors? Because I imagine, like, I don't hear much about businesses like this getting like so much funding. So what was that conversation like? 
Yeah, I think it was interesting because the idea was so obvious to people, it made the pitch much easier. Everybody always talks about, can you explain your company in one sentence? And it was very simple for us to do that. And people were very, I think, drawn to the idea that they really felt it should exist and there should be an update to the currently available options. So that made it easier. I think in practice, it wasn't I think so many ideas that people pitch to venture investors, they sort of don't have like a tangible understanding of in a practical way. And this one was very clear. We are going to build a store. We will pierce ears. We will sell earrings, right? And I think that made it in some ways simpler. And so I'm curious about, because you guys obviously have multiple parts to this business. You have sort of these brick and mortar locations to get piercings where people, of course, can buy earrings as well. But you also have the e-commerce side too, where people who maybe don't live near one of the piercing studios could still go and buy earrings online or make it a place where they frequently are shopping. And so I was really curious about kind of like how you guys approach that side of it, that split in the business. Do you guys spend a lot of time marketing to the e-commerce site to like areas where they wouldn't know about it otherwise because they wouldn't like walk by a piercing studio or sort of find it if they were looking for that kind of service? Or like, how do you think about having those two sides of the business when they could attract different audiences? Sure. So I think for us, it's interesting both historically and today. Historically, because we opened our first store four months before COVID, we had just opened the second store two weeks before COVID. Obviously, COVID happens and both stores are closed for six months. And so in 2020, we really have no choice but to focus on the e-commerce business and build that because Mm. we had to make money, right? And so for the first, I would say, two years of the business, they really existed in parallel, mostly by necessity, based on what was happening in the environment. Now we really think about the business as an omni-channel flywheel. The goal for us is to acquire customers either in retail or online and then get them to get pierced. And then we really believe that we can own that hole. If we put a hole in your ear, we should be able to fill it with an earring once it's healed. And so for us, we really want them to be connected. We don't want them to operate as separate lines of business. And now that we have enough national scale in terms of where our studios are located, we think that is very plausible. And speaking of the physical stores too, I know you guys started in New York because you guys were probably both based here at the time and still are. But kind of how do you think about expansion? Because this is one of those funny businesses in the sense of places like tattoo parlors get pierced as well as like Claire's. They're in malls. They're also in the city. They're in rural downtowns. Like it's like it's kind of one of those things where it's like anyone could be a customer, but also that makes the scale kind of funky. And how do you guys think about I was going through the list of some of the stores and noticed a lot are based in like cities. And I assume some that I weren't as familiar with are like college towns. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious kind of like how you guys think about expansion of the actual physical stores and sort of where they should be placed. It's exactly as you say, right? So when we created Studs and Lisa really envisioned what the brand was going to be, we wanted it to be extremely mass. And that means that the locations need to be very mass. And so we have four locations in New York City and we'll soon have a few more And we simultaneously have a location in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where the University of Wisconsin is on the main downtown street where all of the students are walking and spending time. And we did that purposely. And we were really trying to prove to ourselves and they ultimately also trying to prove to the investment community that studs can be everywhere. Studs is not just an urban coastal thing. Studs is actually a very mass brand where the stores and their economic profiles work everywhere. Definitely. And sort of thinking about the marketing, you've mentioned branding and the marketing of this, that obviously must be a huge piece of this too, because obviously you guys did not invent earrings or ear piercing. So how do you guys think about marketing and kind of like how much of an influence marketing and branding like does have on the scale and success of studs? 
build that they will come. When we open stud stores on the right block where this customer, which there are many, are looking for this, we do not have to spend a lot of dollars on marketing. The stores themselves are advertising. The stores themselves drive the business. They're the growth of the business. So we're really lucky in that our marketing dollars are really opening stores that then drive the business. And there is not, we do not have to spend in this sort of direct-to-consumer like feed the beast kind of way. What we really, really need to do is focus on providing the best customer experience with the best assortment in the right locations. Of course, we have to market those stores and we do that in a really grassroots way that is not expensive. We invite the right community in, the right influencers in, we make the right content. You know, of course we do Instagram advertising and TikTok advertising, but in general, we are not spending a large portion of our budget on marketing. We are spending the time to create the right content strategy, to get the right people in the store, to pick the right location. And then of course, we have our, our CRM strategy. But interestingly, we focus on partnerships. We had a partnership with Shake Shack. We just went to BravoCon. And so we're always finding really cool and interesting ways to insert ourselves in culture and the zeitgeist and to do really fun partnerships. But we do not have like a giant marketing budget in which we are buying OTT, for instance. We're not doing that. Yeah, I need you guys to bring back the rat studs. I wanted to buy them and I didn't get a pair and now I regret it. <laughs> Good to know. I loved I loved the Studs Loves New York collection. Um, that was definitely one of our most fun. You spoke a bit in the beginning about how you walk into a piercing place and you might not like the selection that they have. How do you go about, I guess, with the aesthetics of picking what type of studs and piercings you want to offer people? Do you source that or do you create it yourself? We uh, design and make our own jewelry. And then the way we think about merchandising is what we, every fun and trendy things. So our is not trying to get an extremely premium look and our customers also really, really valuing health and safety. So what our customer wants is earrings they can wear every day that are going to be safe, good for healing. We have earrings that are specifically designed for piercing with a needle that are compatible with swelling and reduce infection and things like that. And then when we come to the jewelry that you can switch into when your holes are healed, we're really looking for everyday best basics that are following what's going on with jewelry trends. And so, you know, a lot of our best sellers are, are really like our mini pave huggy, but then we also will do something fun like the rat stud, right? The brand tenants are really, first and foremost, we are the authority on health and safe ear piercing with needles. And then we also are like, this is supposed to be fun, right? You're getting an ear piercing to do something fun. This is not going to the dentist. This is exciting. It's something you're doing with your friends after brunch. You're going to do it for your birthday, for your bachelorette party. You're putting in earrings because you want to have a little sparkle to your day. And so we keep the brand pretty fun that way as well. I feel like I, I've always like wanted another piercing, but I've always felt like I've just been... Time. I know. <laughs> yeah, Dom, I'm, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, even I'll agree with that, Dom, it's time. Some of us have like nine, 10 piercings. I have like one. I feel so sad. I'm like, I want another one so bad. I, all I, re I remember a lot of girls, like when I was in middle and high school, they would be getting like the belly button piercings and all the multiple piercings and stuff. And I think I was just always scared of like infection. And so I'm obviously getting over that fear. Like, I don't know. But is it complicated setting up 
a business like this and worrying about the health and sanitation side of it? Of course. And in some cases, you know, state by state, county by county, it's very heavily regulated. And so we have a significant portion of our team is dedicated to ensuring that we're in compliance with those regulations. And I am a lawyer by background. And so it appeals to me in that way. And then in terms of customers, you know, we have really low incidence of customer complaints and customer infection reports, etc. And so I wouldn't, this isn't like getting major surgery. I don't think you should compare it to that. No, Dom, you're probably better off skipping that belly button <laughs> piercing trend. I feel like everyone who got those 10 years yeah. ago regrets it. The reason we're so focused on needle piercing and when we do our consumer insights, you know, we talk to our customer a lot. The number one thing they're looking for from studs is that gun, nor is it healthy or safe to use a gun for these more advanced piercings. You need someone on it, hold you accountable, you know, a team at studs that you can write and be like, is this normal? What should I do next? You can come back for studs for a checkup for free. We will look at your ear piercing and then we will ch- we'll downsize you when your ear has done swelling and we'll change you. To your point, I think you're, you're right to be a little nervous, right? It's a needle through your ear. It's a piece of metal through your ear. It's a little scary and everyone's body reacts different. And so going back to the, the real reason for me, thousands and thousands of five-star Google reviews and why people are so obsessed with their studs experiences because our team is like, we're experts and we care about your experience and we're going to take the time. And I think that has been our big, big differentiator. And something else I noticed from just the website and sort of chatting here, obviously you guys are focused on ear piercing specifically. And I also notice going on the website, some of the places you guys pierce are say like 13 plus age range. And so I'm curious, kind of like those two decisions are those kind of like, this is where you want to start. People who are adults, just ear piercings. Do you guys think you'll expand in the future? Sort of like, why did you guys make those types of choices to start of finding those more? I don't want to say a narrow parameter because the majority of people who get pierced do pierce their ears. But like, why did you guys decide on some of those boundaries around the strategy? We wanted to be ear piercing and earrings experts. And we really felt like we should go conquer that territory. And then in terms of the core customer, we are really focused on second piercings and beyond. Mm. It's not that we won't take people for first piercings. Of course, there are people that are 13 plus that come in that are getting their ears pierced for the first time. But we really felt like this was the idea of having multiple piercings and multiple earrings, creating what we call the earscape, which is a term she coined and we've trademarked. And that was where we really wanted to play because we actually felt like there are many players that play effectively in the first piercing business. And we didn't necessarily think that we wanted to compete against them. We wanted to actually go after the business that we felt we needed and that customers even a little younger than us also needed. Ear piercings now, right? Me and my friends all through college in our 20s and and also now me and Anna getting them in our 30s, like a lot of people are going to go between having many, many piercings, letting a couple close up, then getting a few more, reopening their piercings and people catering to their ears is a big TAM. It's a big market if you just focus on it. I think similar to Warby Parker, that's like, you know, we are eyeglasses and we are optometry. We were like, this makes sense for us. Let's be the experts in earscaping. This is a big business. And now we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back in a second. Kind of switching gears just a little bit, knowing that you guys both mentioned earlier that you guys both had worked at startups in the past and knew each other before you were co-founders for a long time and things like that. What has it been like actually launching this business of your own and going from being friends to being co-founders? What has it been like for you two more on a personal level of getting this off the ground into where it is now? 
our cell phone bills are very high because we talk to each other literally <laughs> 400 times a day. Anna, I've spent more time with Anna than any other human except for maybe my parents, like truly. <laughs> truly. Both of us, I think, also more time than with our partners. Um, and now maybe even with our kids. <laughs> and so we look, we were lucky for two reasons. One, we were friends before and had known each other for a long time. We also worked in similar types of startups that were both very services oriented. So we felt very well suited to doing this type of business together. We also have our lanes. I always joke that I'm the reason, you know, Studs is functional and Lisa is the reason Studs is cool and anybody cares about the brand. And that's very complementary to one another. And we don't try and play in each other's territories, which I think is important. And then we share the same values, right? Like we really... We're very direct, very transparent. We want to work out conflict if we ever have conflict. And so I think the foundation of having the friendship plus the shared values and lanes has helped us be able to be really, you know, want to work together and talk to each other 400 times a day for the past five years. (laughs) We still choose to spend our free time together. You know, we went away together two weekends ago. I had Anna's husband over for dinner on Saturday while she was out of town. So now, you know, we're family. And I think we've sort of, it's a you know, baptism by fire through these last five years. And we've really learned together uh, how to do this. And it's obviously extremely intense to start a startup no matter what. And then you throw COVID in, uh, you throw economic volatility in, you throw all of this. And it's really our case at extreme make it. uh, The business is super successful and Anna and I are super strong. But yeah, you have to you have to really, really bond together (laughs) to get through it. And you both have had such long careers in other areas and fields. I'm really curious to know, kind of what are some lessons from your previous working experience that you took with you in this entrepreneurial journey? So I think the first is we really started with the premise that we had to create a highly functional, excellent business, and that just having a flashy brand wasn't going to be enough. And so we really started the business with that premise. And we were like, we're going to build a business with great fundamentals. And I think that has really been informed by our experiences with startups, our experiences at great fundamentals businesses. And so that was very important for us from the beginning. I think extremely clear with each other what success would look like when we have product market fit. And honestly, companies can paper cuts because you're like, what if we did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And I've been there during the death by a thousand paper cuts at other companies. And I think for us, we were like, we're going to have product market fit. We're going to have incredible product market fit. We know what that looks like. And then we're going to take this and we're not going to, you know, get distracted from our goal. That's so interesting that you mentioned sort of that you think a key to the success so far is that you guys have both have a mutual undefined definition of what that success looks like. Because a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a piece about founder breakups. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that came up a lot in that piece of talking with people and VCs who kind of like help startups navigate when founding teams do dissolve is that people get far into it or a problem comes up and they realize that success is not the same for both parties. One person wants to build a profitable company. The other person wants to build growth at all costs. And then when they come at odds, that's like a common reason people break up. And something they said was to clearly write down, define, be on the same page of what success looks like. So it's really interesting to hear that you guys have done that because everyone I talk to is like, yep, that's a good thing, but startups don't always listen to that advice. But I also think that's more of an existential problem than just a founder problem, right? Like, For sure. You know? And so to me, I, I think... And you could say that about your, you know, anything really. Yeah. But also I think in the at the end of the day, right, the independent of founder dynamics, which we happen to have excellent dynamics. So that's great. 
I don't think that's all only because we're on the same page about what happens to the business. I think it is because the business has been successful and we continue to sort of mutually define what that success will be in a way that I think the other reason I suspect that sometimes either businesses have trouble or founders have trouble is that to Lisa's point around product market fit, we've never searched for product market fit. We've obviously always tweaked the business along the way, but it worked from the beginning. And I think we have been very lucky in that regard, right? Like we had this idea and the idea worked. That isn't true for many companies. And so I wonder how much of those dynamics come from the businesses in itself really working. For sure. Had, you know, pretty lengthy careers in startups before we started. We're, we're really subscribed to test and learn. And we're not precious when things don't work. We are, we're not precious about being like, I was wrong. We're going to scrap that and we're going to try something else. And I think that that type of rigor, again, just comes with maturity having been around the block. When it came to dividing up responsibilities, was it easy to know who was going to be, you know, CEO and CBO? Or like, was there was there a little drama or did you already know? No, no, (laughs) no drama. Well, because Lisa was like, over my dead body, I would be the CEO. Lisa has no interest in this. (laughs) Yes, and we're there in compliance land. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, look, I also think that, like I said, I think we are very mutually respectful of each other's areas, right? So that also helps. And I incredibly trust Lisa's judgment and taste on brand. And Lisa trusts my judgment and taste on, you know, finance and legal, right? And so I think my taste on finance and legal. And so (laughs) I think... I think that's helpful, right? We don't we don't actually want to do the other person's job because we don't think we're good at it. That values brand and knows that brand is actually going to drive revenue for the company is important to be a, a chief brand officer and you're going to be a brand creator. And so I obviously have Anna's buy-in as the CEO that this is important. And I'm curious because I know you mentioned toward the beginning of the call about how you guys launched these first stores. It really got going like right as COVID hit. And of course, even from working at startups, of course, running your own and having sort of different strings tied to it is different than just working at someone else's startup that you don't have as much of a financial buy-in and success writing on your shoulders and things like that. What has it been like for you guys personally? You've started this company. It's obviously found traction. It's found success. But the way the market's been, we might go into a recession, less consumer spending, COVID. It's been kind of a rough time to start a consumer business. Yes. What has it been like for you, guys, <laughs> for you guys personally over the last couple of years? You know, I would say in some ways, this very bouncy up and down period has been good. And I don't say that because I'm a silver lining person. I'm actually really not a silver lining person, but I think it has proven to us that the business is really weatherproof. Mm. And I think that's really compelling for us as leaders of it, because obviously going into COVID, we shut down the stores, you know, our team went on furlough, we had to focus on e-com for a fair bit of time. Lisa and I for a bit were the only employees again of the company. And when we reopened the stores, we said to ourselves, will anybody come, right? There's no vaccine yet. And people have been in their houses for six months and getting an ear piercing at some level is a deeply optional thing to do. It's not like getting our teeth cleaned, right? right? So we were sort of like, did COVID just structurally ruin this business? It was totally possible that had happened. It didn't. And then with the economy as it is right now, it's also created a set of parameters around the business, which in some ways are good, right? We always wanted to start a good business with good business fundamentals. We have done that. The economy has 
focused us on that even more than we already were. And I think that's been positive. So I actually think for us, it's been great because it sort of shows us we have a 50 to 100 year business. We don't have a flash on the pan business. And I feel very good about that. Does that mean it's been easy? No, it's been horribly personally challenging, right? And challenging for the team, etc. But I don't think that means it, it hasn't killed the business. And I think many businesses will die in this environment. And for us, I think it's proven to us, wow, we've got something really good and long lasting. Definitely. And I'm curious, you mentioned different things with the staff. Obviously, you guys hired and then had to lay off. And we talked a little bit earlier about how, of course, piercing someone's ear is not the same as, say, hiring someone to, like, run the cash register at an anthropology. Um, Speaking of my own past job (laughs) experience. So I'm curious, kind of, like, how you guys think about hiring? Because obviously you're hiring people who work in the stores, people who do pierce, which, of course— does have regulations and guidelines, but also a lot of people probably don't have experience in that area. And you're also hiring for like traditional corporate roles, e-commerce. And how do you guys manage all of that? You're hiring across the board, just like very different types of positions. Yeah. So I think one, we really try to figure out how do we find best in class people for each of those roles. And for piercers in particular, we run our own apprenticeship program and we Mm -hmm. have for almost since the company started. And so for us, we take in people, we train them in-house, we then deploy them out to their studios. And we're very focused on doing that in order both, I think, to give people the opportunity to learn how to pierce, because many people are very interested in that. And apprenticeship is actually very ingrained in piercing culture. And so for us, we were very excited about the idea of creating this program to give people these job opportunities that they wanted to learn about, but it wasn't easy to figure out how to go and do and become an apprentice. And simultaneously, also to be able to control our own hiring in the way that you describe, which is that if you run your school, it makes it easier for you to feel like you have enough supply in order to meet the demands of your studio openings. And kind of on that with staff, I would really like to know, like, how do you describe your leadership style? And is there like a specific way you go about promoting like positive company culture? Sure. So I think, you know, for us, we were very, very focused from the beginning of studs on feedback, transparency, listening to our teams in the in the field, and really believing that if we can create an environment where they feel heard and supported, that they will then create a great environment for the customers. And we think that's really proven true in the reviews that we get from customers. And so our real focus is we are trying to the extent we can to ensure that there isn't a divide between HQ and retail and that those parts of the companies feel very integrated with one another so that we can feel like, because at the end of the day, right, Studs is about a store experience. And so for us, if they can have a great experience with the company, and that means they'll give a great experience to customers. Of course, that isn't going to be perfect always, but that is what we endeavor to do. And knowing that you guys are on this great swing of momentum, you know, it sounds like you guys are opening new stores in the near, near future. Where do you guys head from here and kind of how are you guys thinking about the company heading into both next year and sort of the next few years down the road? Yeah, I think one, we're super excited about this holiday season. And so, you know, we're entering that right now. And so that's a big period of time for us. So we're very focused on that. And then for next year and beyond, look, we have 21 stores as of tomorrow, and we're really focused on opening many, many more. And we want to be able to bring the more studs to the world and to the customer. And so for us, it's really about bringing the thing we already created that's working really well to more customers. Are you adding any stores and any fun new like geographies for you guys? Just curious, honestly. We're focused on either adding to existing geographies that we already have and then some new markets for next year, but only one new state. But I Yeah, we just opened Chicago, which was a big one for us. We've been wanting to open Chicago for a long time. It's one of our biggest e-commerce markets. It has like our average customer, you know, is between 18 and 30. 
And Chicago has just always been a dream market for us. And we just opened that store last week. And so it's it that one was a huge one for us. But oh, yeah, Anna, you were saying we have one new secret market that we can't say yet. Yeah, we have one new secret market that we can't say, but it's exciting. Mm. <laughs> we really focus on where we have an existing e-commerce customer for as a leading indicator of where we should open. And this is one market that we don't operate in that we are actually working on now. Mm-hmm. Piercing trailer, um, which is our 24-foot mobile piercing studio, which we custom designed where we brought it to Chinatown and Greenpoint, then BravoCon Vegas. And that was really fun. 30,000 BravoCon fans were in Vegas for their favorite Bravo celebrities and all their Bravo franchises. And so we pierced... Um, and had our activation there. So we're also looking for more opportunities to bring our piercing trailer out, which is just a great brand awareness tactic. It's a way to kind of have a a fun way to activate the brand where we maybe can't open a store like we can't open a store at BravoCon. Definitely. We've got Secret Markets launching next year. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was fun. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. And that was our conversation with the founders of Studs. Tom, what did you think? I'm so curious about your perspective because like we already talked about, you don't have a lot of piercings. I know. I'm like, what is this world of piercings and tattoos? And what is this life? I thought it was really like, if I ever got a piercing, I could say like, oh, I would go to them because it seems like a friendly, safe environment and the earrings are cute. Not saying they convinced me, but I'm thinking about it now. Before, like I wasn't, I don't know. I just never thought about it. No, because I know going into this and like I've seen studs open in New York and like seen the locations and know people actually went to college with someone who works at one of the ones in Boston as a piercer. But like I always was kind of like, oh, this is so interesting to me because in theory, I've gotten all my piercings at tattoo studios and like I've never had a bad experience and I always found them to be clean and like welcoming. And I just like at first was just like, oh, this is a cool option. But like, I don't know what need this is necessarily filling. But then thinking about it more, it's like, well, my sister would probably get more piercings, but she would never go to like the tattoo studios that I got mine at. Not for like a judgmental reason, just because like they, the two founders here said like they just wouldn't be comfortable doing it. Yes. Because when I think of tattoo studios, I'm thinking of, if you've seen that episode of SpongeBob where they're going to like that salty spittoo, I'm like, I'm like, what is it? Is it like graffiti everywhere? And people are like, I I don't know where, what is the environment? What is the vibe that people are, they might feel uncomfortable or that they don't want to be in it? Because I have no idea what it's like, but I definitely understand as like two women, like a women owned business wanting to create something that might be a little bit more appealing and more comfortable for like other women and others to like go to and experience. Like I can understand that, but I don't know if that was the vibe. Yeah, no, it definitely depends because I've gotten them done at a couple different places. And like, while I've never had a bad experience, like the range of these places definitely varies. But I would say the beauty of this stuff, though, is I mean, obviously studs leads into this, too, because they have to by law. All these places feel so clean. Like, if you're ever getting a tattoo or a piercing somewhere that doesn't feel like you can't smell the sanitizer, just, like, walk right out. So it's like that part of it is consistent. But yeah, I mean, sometimes if you're not into tattoos or not into that kind of a culture, like, some of the first piercings I got were at this, like, kind of grimy, grimy, I say, but noting, very sanitary, very clean, grimy feeling of, like, the people there in this beautiful town called Salisbury, Massachusetts. If any reader or any listeners know that town, they'll know exactly the vibe instantly of what I'm talking about. But it's just like guys are getting like Sailor Jerry tattoos and like tattoos (laughs) of like naked women and stuff like that. And like, I'm going in to get my cartilage pierced, like little 18 year old (laughs) me. And like, it doesn't bother me, but I could totally see why it would bother others in some ways who just like wouldn't want to be in that environment. 
Yeah, I definitely understand it. I was kind of surprised to hear that they got funding so fast and that investors just completely understood the issue because investors are always hit or miss in what they understand and like, you know, and how they grasp how important things are. And so I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, investors, they just totally got it. That definitely surprised me, too, especially because we talked about this a little earlier, but like it's a brick and mortar heavy business. And of course, they do the e-commerce side for the earrings and stuff like that. But Traditionally, brick and mortar was like VCs were like an automatic no-go, which has definitely changed over the past few years. Like there are other brick and mortar heavy VC backed companies like Blank Street, like the coffee chain and stuff like that. But it definitely maybe it's a shift now. And like maybe that's why it still seems weird because it's like a newer thing. But I was surprised by that, too. But it is one of those like chicken and egg problems where it's like they can't open without funding, but then like they're getting funding before they're open or like making money, approved product market fit, etc. So it's like interesting to hear how they were able to do it, but it is kind of against the narrative we usually hear. Yeah, I guess it must be a new trend because even you wrote about like the bagel store. Yeah. Receiving funding. So I I remember covering brick and mortar like in 2019 and everyone was convinced that brick and mortar was dead. Oh, for sure. And that e-commerce was going to take over. And that clearly has not happened. So I guess brick and mortar is not dead and it's clearly here and alive and you can get a lot of money from it, I guess, from investors. Yeah, maybe it's just like... Everyone was so bullish on D2C then, and then that did not work out for seemingly anyone. So it's like maybe people are like, oh, maybe brick and mortar isn't that bad after all. I love it when we always go back to what we were doing. <laughs> we're like, oh, oh, I know what we were doing was turns out it was just fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like maybe that wasn't broken, actually. Maybe we shouldn't have tried to fix that. Also, OK, so help me understand the market. So is Claire's really the only place where a lot of people go to get first piercings or is it still also tattoo places? I think it varies. I mean, like some places in the country, like I've said some like friends in college who like they got their first piercings like at the doctor's office. Like if you're really, really little, like this could have been what happened to you. You're at home right now. Like you should definitely ask your parents. Like you could have gotten yours done somewhere like that because they'll do the needle piercings for like kids, which like Claire's does the gun, which the gun for like your lower piercings where you don't have cartilage is like totally fine. But when you get into cartilage, you like shatter the cartilage if you use the gun, whereas the needle, you just like popping in and out. I hope I'm not making any listeners are like, oh, I don't want to hear about this. But like. Yeah, I feel like it's like Claire's and like places like Claire's. Like there's a place at my mall called like Piercing Pagoda or something like that. Wait, the idea of doctors just like having side jobs as piercers. (laughs) Like what? I had, but you know, but something I really actually did like is that how studs was like, we're not for you if you're looking for your first piercing. We're for two piercings and above. You can go literally anywhere else to get your first piercing. No, because that makes total sense because like they were saying, like most people do second piercings like up the ear, which is like those are the piercings like you would not do at Claire's. So it's like if you're looking for that place like, oh, I want to get my cartilage pierced. You only know about Claire's. You don't want to go to a tattoo studio like studs would be like the I don't want to say the only option, but in a lot of places, probably, yeah, the only option to be a place where you could safely get those other types of piercings without being at the mall. I just can't get rid of the thought of me going to the doctor asking for like, I don't know, the piercing through the top cartilage or like, it was like, hey, you know, I'm here for my checkup. And also, can I have a second piercing right here? Oh my gosh. You should try it. Try it and we'll we'll report back and see how it goes. I'll report back. I'm going to report back. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori-Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. 
Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks.